0: Welcome to Milestone Church, so glad that you're here. My name is Chris, I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, as Alex said uh, just now, we are so grateful for all of our first time guests. Uh, If this is your first time, and Wendy, my wife, uh, and I have not had an opportunity to meet you, we look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for being here, thank you for joining us. We are in a series called Subject to Change, we're talking about this topic called change. Change is hard. Uh, It's a little challenging. Um, I think we're learning and we begin to realize, and part of the reason we're talking about this is because we actually don't navigate change as well as we think we do. And we've been looking at the people of Israel, their journey out of slavery in Egypt into this place called the Promised Land that God has for them. And as we've been looking, we're watching about and seeing these uh, these really kind of significant moments happening in the people of Israel's life along this journey. I mean, we've looked at God providing bread for them every single day. It was a bread called manna. We looked at what happened when they became impatient, and uh, it seemingly was taking longer than they thought, and so they create this idol, and they fashion it in the shape of a golden calf. Uh, we heard about uh, an individual named Korah who incited a rebellion, and <clears throat> we begin to look and see, what does it look like? Like to actually have a teachable spirit. What does rebellion do and what does it actually look like in our lives? And then last week we looked and we finally got to the place. I know you were wondering, are we ever going to get there? Are they going to get into the promised land? And we're there. We're almost there. They're about to go in. Moses sends a group of spies out. It was 12 of them. They go ahead and spy out the land, and there were two that came back. And even though they saw some significant things, they said, Nevertheless, God's called us to go and do this, so we're going to go and do what God has called us to do. And we looked at it really the thing that is so significant, if we're going to navigate change, the thing that we really probably need the most, and it's faith. What does it look like to live a life of faith? And what I want to talk to you about today is really something that I think is equally as important as faith. It's something that we don't really look at or talk about very often. We kind of overlook it. I know in my own life, I just kind of move past it really quickly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually look back at the people of Israel, especially even those Twelve spies just before they go into the Promised Land. So we're going to look back a little bit. No, we we don't live in the past. But can I tell you something? If you look back, you can learn from it. And so we're going to look back. And in fact, the writers of Hebrews and or the writer of Hebrews and Paul in Corinthians actually said, "I want you to to recognize and take note of this story in the people of Israel because it's an example to you. I want you to learn." From them, And so we're going to do that today. We're going to look back at something that I think is going to help us continue to move forward in our faith. Open up your Bibles, Numbers chapter 11. You know, when I think about moving forward, the first thing that, that, that I think about, obviously, you, you know, I think about a couple of things. I think about, you know, a race or different things like that. But moving forward, I think about, like, you know, advancing. And, and when I think of the word move, I think of what it looks like to actually move homes. I don't know about you if you've ever moved before. But moving is just a full-on beatdown. I mean, just call it what it is. I mean, nobody likes moving. And you really know you love somebody when you help them move. Because you don't like moving yourself. You're like, why am I going to go help this person move their stuff, you know? It's like, so you know you're committed to that individual when you help them move. And so when I think about moving forward, it's not just like the move itself, but I think about just kind of like being in this state of moving forward, even if you're settled in your home. And I like like, like cleaning house. Oh, let, let me rephrase that. Not just like a clean house where it's clean, but like cleaning out the house. You know what I'm talking about? Like getting rid of stuff, okay? Uh, you know, Wendy, over the last 20 years of our marriage, you know, one of the things that we've we've kind of navigated. You know, you, you have those things you just kind of navigate in marriage. And Wendy, very sentimental. She likes to keep stuff, okay? Just lots of stuff. And, and we were in Louisiana at the time. We were moving into our first home that we'd built. We had moved from Texas, Louisiana, moved around a couple of places. So I was tired of moving, okay? But Wendy had this tote. You ever seen those things you put like a Christmas tree in? That's what it was. And she had everything in there. All sorts of stuff. I mean, gum wrappers from like her first grade teacher who meant so much to her, knickknacks, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, I mean, I'm like, so we move in. We're moving into our, our 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 first home. And I'm like, I am tired of ma- this coffin. That's what it was. Like a coffin. I'm tired of moving this thing. And I told her, I said, maybe this was not the right move as a husband. I was desperate, okay? I was young in marriage. I maybe I was under five years in marriage, right? So it was a desperate. Times called for desperate measure. I said, baby, I said, if you can tell me just one thing that's in this tote, you can keep the whole thing. But if you can't, then you really don't know what's in there. We're getting rid of it. She couldn't remember one thing that was in there. I got rid of that tote. I said, This is I'm tired of taking this thing and putting it up in the attic every time we move, okay? And and I, I was I was talking to her and we were talking about it, and, and again, okay. I looked through it anything that was really actual like sentimental value or thing I pulled out but we got rid of it and and we got we didn't need it you know so I just like getting rid of stuff and, and I heard about a story, actually, of a family in Ohio. This happened this past summer. We've actually got a few families from the Ohio area, so this kind of resonated with them. A family from Ohio, they were helping their grandmother. She was, like, getting rid of the house or something. And so uh, all the grandkids went over. They were, they were older grandkids. And <clears throat> they go over, and they're cleaning out the house for Grandma. Getting rid of stuff. And she had this fridge and freezer that was like full of all sorts of stuff. And she was getting rid of it. So before they got rid of the, the fridge and freezer, they emptied it out. I mean, that's that's normal, right? That's what you would do. You would empty a fridge and freezer if you're going to get rid of it. So they emptied it out. They're throwing everything away. Everything out of the fridge. Everything out of the freezer. I say, they call it, like, Grandma. Hey, we're done. We got everything out of the fridge and freezer. We threw everything away. We got everything out of the house. Everything's good to go. She's like, oh, wait. Did you get that envelope out of the freezer? No, Grandma. What envelope? Oh, there's an envelope in the freezer with twenty-five thousand dollars cash in it. Grandma, that'd be really good to know before we threw everything away. So they're frantic. This is a true story. They're frantic. They get on the phone. They're calling like the, the waste company, and the the operator's like, "Well, look, if they've already, if it's at the landfill, it's like they dump it. Bulldozers get over it. It's like you ain't gonna find it. But if it's not, there's a chance. Okay." So they said, so you're telling me there's a chance. They find it. They're looking. They find the truck. It hadn't gone to the landfill. They send it over to a recycle station. They Six tons worth of garbage. Six tons worth of garbage. They begin to go through this, okay? Ten workers, God bless those workers, are going through six tons worth of garbage. Ten minutes later, they find the envelope. They get the $25,000 back to that family, and they were like, Thank you, G. I I mean, can you imagine if you found out you threw away $25,000 worth of cash, okay? I mean, and can you imagine if you found it? I'd be like, Jesus, thank you, Lord. You are so good, and you are faithful. You know, I, I want to talk about maybe you've never thrown away $25,000, okay? But I want to talk to you about something that I think in the busyness of life, when we're navigating change and things are challenging and hard, I want to talk to you about something I think we just kind of throw out. And we don't realize it. Something that actually is far more valuable than $25,000. And you may think, well, Pastor Chris, tell me that. I mean, $25,000 is a lot of money. What is more valuable? Well, we're going to look at the people of Israel, and we're going to look at our own lives and recognize and see what is it that is far more valuable than that amount of money that can help us navigate change. And navigate what it looks like. I've been showing you over the last few weeks. And again, if this is your first time or you're just joining us. We've been looking at this map of the people of Israel. It's an 11 day journey. turns into 40 years. It's 2.5 million people. But by the time they go into the promised land, only two of the original 2.5 make it in. They had to journey through the wilderness. But they didn't have to wander in it. It didn't have to turn into 40 years. And what happens is we are at, last week we looked at this kind of beginning line of them going into the promised land. And something significant that transpired where Moses sends, as I mentioned earlier, these 12 spies that go into the land. And what they saw overwhelmed them. And the truth is all 12 saw the same thing. But only two saw it from a spiritual vantage point and saw that, hey, God called us to do this. We're going to do it. Whereas all the other ten, all they saw was how overwhelming it was. And there were giants in the land. And the land is going to devour us. Because that's what happens when the enemy comes in. And we don't live by faith. Standing on the convictions that God has given us. We end up missing out on the promise that he has for us. And so they're about to go in. and, And when you recognize it, I think about these Twelve individuals, and I think about something that they had when they came Think about the attitude that they had when they came back. You, You know anybody with an attitude? Don't elbow your spouse, okay? You may go, yeah, come to my house. I got a teenager. Okay, all right, hold on. You know, when you think about attitude, attitude tends to have a negative connotation. You know, I mean, think about it. We know people with bad attitude, negative attitude, complaining, grumbling attitude. We know people with a good attitude. And the truth is, attitude is not entirely uh, negative. Here's really what attitude actually means. The definition of attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. It's an inward feeling expressed as an outward behavior. There is a settled way. I'm settled in how I see this. I'm settled in how I think about this. What was the difference between the two and the ten spies? They both had an attitude. One was settled that that land was going to devour them. There was no way to make it, make it, uh, make it, uh, make a way. Yeah, it was the land that God said it was. It had milk and honey, but there's no way we're not going to make it. There were two that had a different attitude. They were settled that God said it, we're going to do it. How do we have the right attitude when we're in the middle of change? When things are seemingly changing? All around us. You see, uh, I want to talk about something that I think we don't really give much thought to. But but second to faith, I think it's something that can transform our life. And in fact, it can change your situation immediately. Get this. Uh, li- listen to what I'm about to tell you. You're going, I need a change. How I many of you are in the middle of a situation? You're like, I need a change right now. I'm going to tell you how. Right now. You can change Your situation immediately. Because what I'm going to share with you, not only can change your situation immediately, it can change it because it changes you in the middle of your situation. And what I want to talk to you about is what it looks like to have an attitude of gratitude. You can actually have a settled way of thinking about your circumstance when you view it through the lens of gratitude. So what does it look like? How do we develop a grateful heart? How do we begin to to look at the circumstances and situations that we experience and we have a settled way of thinking or feeling about our circumstances that's rooted in gratitude? But I think far too often, we end up throwing gratitude out with everything else. It's in that envelope in the freezer that you cleaned out and boom, you threw it away, you didn't even realize it. it, But it's far more valuable than that $25,000 that that family accidentally threw away. But today you can regain an attitude of gratitude. You can be settled in your heart, settled in your mind, settled in the way you think about the circumstances and situations that you're experiencing. Because we all face challenging times. No matter the age or the situation. I kid you not, I was having a conversation with a, with a student this past week. I was having conversations in my own home this past week. Conversations with adults, newly married couples, those about to have children. We are all going through change, and those changes are challenging. But we can see them in a different light if we have an attitude of gratitude. I want us to look at the people of Israel in Numbers Chapter 11, and I want us to learn. Remember what the writer of Hebrews and what Paul said in Corinthians. He said, we can look at this story, and this story is significant because it's all throughout the Word of God. And he's saying, they are an example, and I want you to learn. So we're going to learn, and today what we're going to learn is we're going to learn what not to do. Like, it's always good when you're like, here's what I need to do, but sometimes it's really helpful to go, okay, I need to learn what not to do. So we're going to look at the people of Israel and look at what not to do. Numbers 11 The chapter actually starts out, you know it's not going to go good, and it's probably going to go sideways when the chapter starts out with, the people were complaining to God. That's how Numbers chapter uh, chapter 11 verse 1 starts. We're going to pick up in verse 4 and watch what happens here. As we look at the people of Israel, it says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Think about cravings. You ever crave something before? We've got a lot of families, a lot of ladies in our church that are pregnant. There was one earlier at the first service. We were talking about what are you craving? Have you you remember? Have you had any crazy cravings? Some of you, you remember when your wife was pregnant? Were there any craving? Like when you have a craving, it's insatiable. If you have a pregnant spouse that has a craving, husbands, you know what you know. What I'm talking about. It's the it's the eleven o'clock Walmart run because she's got to have. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Got to have it. Because when you have a craving, it's like, I want it now. And here are the people of Israel. It says they had a strong craving. It says, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now you may remember back in week two we talked about manna. God's providing. He's, he's giving them provision. He provides bread every single day they wake up. They have more than enough. We've talked about what it looks like to trust in God because he's our provider. Yet here they are. It's amazing. When you don't have gratitude, you look back on the past and it looks better than it really was. All the fish we had that cost us nothing. All these different things. They were enslaved in Egypt, in bondage, oppressed. But yet here they are going, oh, it was much better there. Now all we got is this daily provision from God. That miraculously gives to us. And yet here we are. Complain. And it's amazing. I mean, I could camp out here all day long. But 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 catch this. Get this. When you lose focus of the mission, you have time to critique and criticize the menu. When you're dialed in and you're complaining about all these different things, you're losing sight of the mission of what God's wanting to do in your heart and in your life. So that's what's happening here. The people of Israel, they're complaining. They lose sight, and they're constantly desiring what they do not have and not grateful for what they do. They continue to complain. Moses actually says, I hear every family. Remember, 2.5 million people, that's a lot of people. Every family wailing, complaining, crying. Moses and God have multiple conversations. There's lots of dialogue going on. In fact, Moses feels so overwhelmed. He's like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I need help. God tells him to appoint elders to help him and navigate the situation and the circumstance. And then God shows up and he talks to Moses. And he says, Moses, you can't do this on your own. I'm going to help you out. And here's what he tells Moses. He says, now say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it is better for us in Egypt. Again, here they are. God's leading them into the promised land. Taking longer than they thought. Doesn't look like they thought it was going to. And they are going, where we were when we were in Egypt is better than where we are now. They don't see it accurately. So God says, okay, here here you are. You're, You're wondering who will do it? Here am I. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat it. Verse 19. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? He says, Look, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give you so much, you're going to wish you never had it. I'm going to give you what you thought you wanted, but what you thought you wanted is not actually what you wanted at all. And so here they are. They're dialoguing, and Moses is going back and forth talking to God. Now, uh, just a side note: this is about Moses says this is about six hundred thousand people right here. So it's not all two point five. It's this group of people. But can I tell you? Remember what happens? Only two make it in, of the original two point five making it in the Promised Land. So even just there, here's six hundred thousand. Let's say it was just them. That's all we have documented. But let's say it was just them that was complaining. But that 600,000 ends up impacting. And we talked about that last week, how negativity spreads, how contagious it is. That 600,000 ends up spreading it to 2.5 million. Cravings, complaining, wanting something that they do not have, not grateful for what they do have. To the point where Moses is going back and forth with God. He even gets a little sarcastic. I love reading the Word of God. If you've ever read, if you're wondering, is there sarcasm in the Bible? Absolutely. God's not overwhelmed by your sarcasm. Lots of conversations in the Bible where there's sarcastic interaction between people and God. Going, God, are you really? Will it really happen? Moses has one of those weak moments. I've had moments like that. God lovingly comes and he's patient with us just like he was with Moses. He, Moses actually says, should we kill flocks? Like just flocks of, I mean, is that going to satisfy their need? He says, should we go and catch all of the sea, all of the uh, the fish in the sea? Is that going to satisfy them? A little bit of sarcasm. Yeah, Moses, you're going to get all the fish in the sea. And he's saying nothing is going to satisfy what they want. So he's being sarcastic, but he also recognizes these people have a craving, and that craving is unhealthy. Now watch how the story ends. Watch what God begins to do and what he says here at the end in verse 31 through through, uh, through 34. It says, Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side and about two cubits above the ground. Now put that into context. I don't know how long it takes them to walk a day's journey on one side or a day's journey on the other, but two cubits is about 18 inches. Imagine 18 inches high worth of quail as far as you can walk on one side or the other. Now I know some of you hunters in here are like, I like a quail hunt like that. I like a dove hunt like that. Okay, that is a lot of quail. He says this wind, he, this wind blows in and he gives them more than they need. Verse 32, and the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 omers. Now, Now, just so you know, an omer is about 220 liters. That's about 485 pounds. So you do the math. Times 10. 485 pounds times 10. That's how much those who gathered the least gathered. That's a lot of quail. That is a lot of quail. It says, verse 33, While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of the place was called Kibrath-Hatava, because they buried the people who had the craving. You see, cravings kill gratitude. Change quail. You're like, I don't really like quail. Too gamey. It's not about quail. What are you craving and wish that you had that you don't have? And you think, if I had that, if I had that position, if I had this thing done, if this conversation would be had, if I had that job title, if I had this financial status, if I could just solve this problem, figure this out, rather than recognizing God is with you and for you and being grateful for where you're currently at. It's amazing what happens because what begins to happen is the cravings kill, but gratitude gives life. The same way that grumbling closes us off to God's blessing and provision, we have to recognize gratitude opens us up to it. It opens us up to it. You see, a heart of gratitude leads to a satisfied heart because it changes our perspective. It moves us forward, but get this, and it strengthens our faith. A heart of gratitude, it moves us forward. We build our faith. We see things a little different, and when I think about gratitude... Through the years of just walking with people and, and pastoring people, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Looking at gratitude when interacting with people. Now at, at my, I'm, I'm 43, so looking at my life and recognizing observations about gratitude, even in my own life, there's a couple of things that I recognize about gratitude. A few things that, that I think is important for us to recognize and observe about gratitude. The first is this. gratitude's never silent. It's never silent gratitude will always show up and speak up. You say, well, I'm really grateful in my heart. I mean, you know, I, I just I have a hard time with my words, but, but you know my heart. You, you know, No, 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 I don't know your heart. In fact, Luke says, whatever's in your heart will come out of your mouth. So either it ain't really in there, or you need to start walking in obedience and speak up and let that gratitude come out. Can I tell you, those of you that are married, spouses, Just a little bit of verbal gratitude, it actually being expressed will go a long way. If you'll focus on speaking to where you see your spouse being and being grateful for what you do have rather than complaining about what you don't have in your spouse, it'll change the dynamic of your marriage. But it's so easy to have cravings, wishing and wanting that person or those relationships were different or further along. Or more mature, or more kind, or more aware, or more whatever. You see, gratitude is never silent. And when you speak up, it shifts the atmosphere, the environment, the conversation, your interaction with others. Here's another thing I've observed about gratitude. Gratitude fuels joy. You see, gratitude carries your joy and your strength from one season to another. But how do you find gratitude? You may be going, man, there is so much going on. It's like, what do I have to be grateful for? Well, here's the thing. Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. Can I tell you how something starts is not how it will end. And what will navigate that season and help you walk through it is gratitude. The road forward is paved with gratitude. So look back, though. And if you're having a hard time being able to move forward, look back on His goodness. Look back in how He's been with you, how He's been for you. And what begins to happen is that gratitude will fuel your joy because joy comes from looking back on God's faithfulness and looking forward with vision towards His goodness. Gratitude fuels joy. But here's the next one I've observed. And, and, and sometimes a word that you're going to find in this Next one, oftentimes, kind of gets kind of attached to young people or the younger generation, but it's not true. We all have it. And it's this gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. If you look in your life and you're having to defend why you're not entitled, just a little heads up you're probably entitled. Entitlement says, I deserve it. Gratitude says, I don't deserve it, but I receive it. Thank you. I'm grateful for it. You see, when you're dissatisfied, dissatisfaction leads to entitlement, but gratitude will lead you towards generosity. And your gratitude will begin when you recognize, all right, my sense of entitlement has to end. And then here's the fourth observation that I found about gratitude and walking with people and, and in my own life, and it's this it's it's that gratitude shifts our perspective and prepares us for the future. You see, your situation doesn't have to improve for you to be grateful. Well, if this would change, I'd be more grateful. No, 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 no. You can have a heart of gratitude, you can have an attitude, a settled way of seeing and thinking about a situation without your situation changing. Because you're grateful. You're grateful for what you do have, not what you don't have. You see, we get so focused on what we don't have. But can I tell you, don't worry about what you don't have. Be grateful for what you do have. Don't worry about what you don't know. Be grateful for what you do know. And what begins to happen is you will move forward and you're going, I don't get it though. How do I? It doesn't make sense. God will challenge your mind to get to your heart. And there is a part of it that it may not make sense to you. But if you will allow gratitude to direct you and lead you, what begins to happen is it shifts your perspective. And it shifts the way you see things. You see, your current perspective really shapes your overall concern. How you see things will determine how concerned you are about those things. But what begins to happen is when you have gratitude, gratitude says, I see the God of the impossible moving even when i don't see anything moving. He's moving on my behalf. He's doing things on your behalf. He's working on your behalf even when it may not seem like it now in the middle of your circumstance and situation. Paul actually says this in 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Says give thanks in all circumstances. Not for in there's some things that you're experiencing that you're going, man, I ain't, that ain't good. That, that ain't fun. That is difficult. I don't like, but you can still give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose the attitude that you have about what happens to you. The settled perspective, the settled way of seeing and thinking about what's going on. And it's not just, even from a, from a scientific standpoint, there is research done, countless. You can find countless amounts of research that show gratitude shifts the way you interact with people. How you build relationships. How you converse. How you move forward in, in work. How you move forward in school or in education. How you perceive things and, and how you engage in a social construct. All of us will experience things. But the question is, what are you focused on? Well, what are you keeping count of? Have you ever tried to count, like keep, like count out loud? you ever been counting something? You know, it's like one, two, three. You're like counting out loud. And there's always that one person. You know what I'm talking about. When you're trying to count out loud and they're like 10, 16, 32, 49, 81, You're like, and you're frustrated because why? Because you can't can't count two things. You're trying to focus on something. Someone else is distracting you. Can I tell you something? You can't count gratitude when you're focused on everything else you don't have. If you're going to focus on everything you don't have and still try and count what you should be grateful for, it's only a matter of time before you lose count. You've got to count what you're grateful for because you can't count two things. And if you're always focused on, if I had, if this, if this happened, if this changed then you're missing it. So what do we do? What happens? H- how do we navigate this? Because remember, you can't change your, you, you can't, you, the situation is challenging. But you can immediately change that situation, not because anything external happens, but because you change yourself in the middle of that situation. Because you change how you're going to see it. So what happens When we operate with gratitude, I'm going to give you three things just real quick that happens when we live a life of gratitude and we become grateful. When we have a heart of gratitude, when we have an attitude of gratitude, the first is this. We get closer to God. You see, when we remember he is our source, then we recognize he is the one that satisfies us. He is our source and our satisfaction. He provides. He makes a way. You, so, so what happens is you draw closer to God, and when you draw closer to God, you're more settled and you're more satisfied. Well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well, James 4.8 says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Simply draw near to God. How do I do that? Well, there's lots of ways. Personally, you may do that. You're drawing near to God where uh, you're, you're in the Word of God. You're praying. It's in the context that you gather with. Who are you surrounding yourself with? When we come together right here. This isn't the end all be all, but worshiping together, serving. There's a group of people, an army. They were were excited to serve you this morning. They were here and ready to go. When you're serving together, it draws you closer to God. When you're honoring your spouse, it draws you closer to God. There's so many things as you look at God's word that will draw you closer to God. And when you begin to do that, you do that by really unpacking what it looks like to be grateful. It's gratitude that allows me to draw close to God. And where does that begin? It really begins at the moment of salvation. We're more grateful for things when we recognize we couldn't get it on our own. I couldn't do it. At salvation, I couldn't do it. We receive communion today. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed Jesus to fill that void, to die on the cross for me. His body, His blood broken and shed for me, that I may have a relationship with God. Can I tell you, when I recognize what Jesus has done for me, I can't help but be grateful. I'm telling you, if you knew, and I tell you all the time, I wasn't just a dumpster fire. I was a rolling dumpster fire. If you knew what Jesus did for me, can I tell you something? Thank you, and I'm grateful is just the tip of the iceberg because there is so much that I have to be grateful for. You see, when I'm grateful, it draws me closer to God because he satisfies me. He satisfied me by satisfying the need that I had for a Savior, but he satisfies me every day in the needs I have in life. Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God for the good land he has given you. When was the last time you just said, God, thank thank you. Thank you for what I have. Thank you for this house. It may have a couple of things we need to work on, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you're working. I mean, just watch what happens and how you draw closer to God. If you would just stop a minute and start saying thank you. Here's the next thing that happens when we're grateful. We access and experience peace. You see, we talk a lot about peace. It's one of our biggest needs. We know that it's important, but here's the real challenge. How do we get it? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when your wife... Sends you into the wasteland of the grocery store. You know what I'm talking about? Because she goes in. It's like a covert operation. She goes in and she goes in and comes out like quick. I mean, she knows, where, but you go in, you look at Wendy's phone when, I, when she sends me to the grocery store. There's about five phone calls and about ten text messages. I'm like, babe, what's that, I'll be, where is this at? Where is that? I mean, I'll be locked up in there for two days. I'm like, man, all I was getting was like macaroni and cheese, bread, and, uh, you know, some bottled water. I don't know where anything's at. That's how we feel about peace. Where's it at? I don't know where to find it. Well, watch what Paul says, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation. Here's what we do. By prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't miss out on that thanksgiving component. Because here's what happens when we do that. The peace of God, verse 7, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something? You don't get peace by posting and Googling. You get peace by going to Jesus. And yeah, we may pray and we may request, but when was the last time we were thankful? We were grateful. We operated with gratitude. Can I tell you what begins to happen? We begin to experience and access peace. In a world that is filled with chaos and anxiety and turmoil. So when we're grateful, what we do is we access and we experience peace every day in our life. No matter the circumstance and situation. You see, peace can't be found in a book, in a podcast, in a sermon. Those are those could be good things as well. So it's not just social media or on Google and go, oh, well, is that the negative? No, no, no. Peace is found in his presence. Because peace is a person and his name is Jesus. He's the prince of peace. He gives peace and he is peace. So when we are grateful, guess what? We now have access to that. And here's the last thing. When when we are grateful, we gain sustainability and become more generous. When, When you look and you find something you're grateful for, When you're able, no matter the circumstance and situation, to find something to be grateful for, you'll find stability. In fact, the people that are most grateful are the ones that are most generous, I find. And what happens is when you operate out of gratitude, it not only impacts your life, it spills over and impacts others around you. It impacts your life in a way that nothing else can because there is so much in this world that is turned upside down and that is shaking all around us. But here's the promise and the hope we have in Jesus and when we have an attitude, a settled way of thinking and seeing about something or someone. When we have an attitude of gratitude, watch what happens. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptib- acceptably with reverence and awe. You see, that's a big contrast. So many things shaken and turned upside down. But what begins to happen is gratitude will bring a measure of stability and generosity. You know, that word sustain sustain is actually a musical term as well. Now, I know I've shared with you before, I really love singing and and playing instruments. There's only one problem within all of that. I actually can't sing or play an instrument. But I decided to go out on a limb to help you perhaps capture the importance and the power of what it looks like to sustain. You know, there's a piano here keyboard I'm going to sit down and feel real powerful like Barbara it's like the command center right here I feel like I'm flying a spaceship you know you you hit a a note just kind of one note you know that's that's the point you know so you kind of you know Don't be that impressed. That's the only thing I know. But I just, life, you know, it's just like one note at a time. And it can seem fleeting, but, but here's what happens. You see, there's this little device down here called a sustain pedal. And when I hit the sustain pedal, now when I hit a note, it lasts. You see, gratitude can be the shortest lived emotion. But when we operate with gratitude, it sustains us. It sustains us in the moments that we experience. You see, when we're grateful for what he's done, then what begins to happen is we live a generous life because we recognize how he has been generous to us and how others have been generous to us. And... When we live with a life of gratitude, it will sustain us through every circumstance and every situation. See, my prayer for you is this, is that you don't just live life pecking one note at a time like I do when I'm playing. But that you actually understand what it looks like to live a grateful life. Because that gratitude will sustain you through every circumstance in life.